0: Welcome to Market Matters, our Markets podcast on making sense, the hub for JP Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today.
1: Hi, I'm John Schlegel and I'm a member of the Data Assets and Alpha team at JP Morgan. I run our Positioning Intelligence team and I'm back with my colleague Andrew Tyler as we look to shed some light on the macro environment, and how investors are positioned. Andrew runs our U.S. market intelligence team and is key to our views around the macro environment. So, Drew, it's great to speak with you again on this podcast. Well, thanks for having me, John. Drew, when we last caught up in July with Eloise Golder, you were cautiously bullish U.S. markets, albeit concerned about an August period of softness given the lack of catalysts and seasonality. And things have played out very much in that manner so far as the recent high for U.S. equities came at the end of last month, and we've fallen a few percent so far in August.
2: So what's your core view today? Thanks, John. So I'd say that my core view starts with, very simplistically, over the next four to six weeks, I remain cautious. And then I think as we kind of go into Q4, I get very bullish again. So really what's behind this is the cautious part of this is still the seasonality that we discussed on the previous podcast, whereby you see August and September tend to be very weak months relative to the rest of the year. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And I would just say that with the S&P down almost 3% month to date, that's kind of playing out as we anticipated. Now, as we kind of turn the page into late September and Q4, I think it's really driven by a couple of core views here. First is the expanding economy. And our chief U.S. economist, Mike Ferroli, just upgraded his view both on Q3 as well as Q4. And what he thinks now is that Q3 will be about 2.5% GDP growth, which has increased from 0.5%, and then you'll see basically about 50 basis points of growth in Q4 as well, up from negative 50 basis points of growth previously. So when you have an expanding economy, you tend to also have expand Earnings, and I think that combination is very bullish for stocks. So, still bullish on stocks, but in terms of you know, if you think about the last couple
1: of months and investors and the reaction. What do you think surprised investors most in the past month
2: or two? So I'd say on the way up, what really was surprising to folks is disinflation and how quickly this has taken foot within the U.S., kind of giving birth to the term immaculate disinflation. And I would just say that this has also shifted the investor conversations from hard landing to soft landing. And that soft landing is now consensus. And now people are starting to talk about a no landing. The differences between those two is a hard landing would have been, you know, the Fed hikes us high enough that something breaks in the economy. similar to what we thought may have happened earlier in March with some of the banks contagion, and that would have triggered a pretty nasty recession. Soft landing is more along the lines of about 0% growth, maybe a light recession, and then no landing is, as it sounds, we're just going higher from here. And then the second part of this, I would say, is like that's what we thought about as surprising to the upside. Now, really what some kind of surprises to the downside is what we've seen going on in the bond market, where we've seen a reacceleration in yields going higher. And in fact, the 10-year yield went through 4.2% earlier today. And this is really driven by the supply Supply demand dynamics, whereby the U.S. has had to issue a lot of debt to help service its financing costs, but also think about the U.S. debt downgrade. While not having a large effect, it has had some, and I think the net impact of this is yields higher, volatility is a little bit higher, and this has also kind of hurt equities as well. That's great. I mean, I think on the surprise
1: side from the positioning angle. There definitely have been people surprised by what's gone on, and I think that speaks to a lot of the short covering we've seen, which arguably some of it may have been forced as the gains in the market have been broader than people expected. And then also just the simply the sheer amount of turnover of portfolios and positions in the last few weeks.
2: So that actually gives me a couple of questions for you. So first is, what does the short covering tell you about what funds are positioned for at this stage? And the second is, what do you think is the pain trade from here? What does this look like, and what would you anticipate? I mean, I think in terms of the covering that we saw, this is particularly
1: strong in the end of July. It would tell us, based on the periods we've seen in the past, and we've seen this a number of times, about six, seven times in the past few years, outside of bigger events like March 2020 and covid Where what tends to follow when you have a large amount of covering from hedge funds alongside a market rally, the next month is a little bit weak. So we're talking about a few percent lower on average, not a huge sell-off, but definitely a little bit weaker. And what typically underperforms a bit more are some of the names that hedge funds had been shorting quite a bit and then had to cover. And once again, that is something we're seeing so far this month. So the crowded hedge fund shorts in the U.S., for example, are down about two and a half times what the broader market is month-to-date. And the shorts in Europe and Asia are also underperforming those markets. So I think what it tells us is there could be a little bit of weakness and choppiness to markets, perhaps not too dissimilar from what you're expecting in terms of seasonality. In terms of what we think the pain trade is at this point, it's not so much the market rallying significantly, given how much has been covered. It's probably the one area that could be painful would be the sort of crowded longs, especially in TMT, mega cap tech stocks, where we've seen a large amount of investors buy into that because of some of the tailwinds we've seen this year. And so the one area globally where we have not seen a lot of risk reduced in the past month or two has been on the long side in the US. So Drew, getting back to your near-term outlook for the end of the summer and the start of September, I guess there's been a lot that we've already discussed in terms of surprise to the upside. But what do you think is actually priced in? Because there's so much talk at this point, it seems, around Goldilocks in terms of the macro data. So
2: transitioning from GDP growth into earnings, the expectation for the market was this quarter was expected to produce about a negative 7% year-on-year EPS growth. And then from there to accelerate slightly higher in Q3 to add 0.8% growth and then for Q4 to add 8.0% growth and then for all of next year about 9.5%. And so as we've kind of seen this bottoming out and then inflection higher over the next six quarters, I think you're starting to see that impact some bullishness but ultimately I don't know that this is yet fully priced in. The reason why I say this and going back to your comment on mega cap tech and the behavior that we've seen is that I think the default investor is still net bearish because the inversion of the yield curve is such a powerful signal that it's unlikely that investors are able to dismiss this quickly. And the fear is always that the economy can turn around from very positive to very negative in short order. And so with that in mind, I would just say that keep an eye on what we see out of mega cap tech earnings, because as that sector goes, so does the rest of the, the broader market. That's really interesting that you
1: say that you think investors are still a bit negative. And it's interesting to note that in the last two weeks, as markets have weakened, we've seen that sort of come through in some of our data with very quick shifts, especially in terms of macro products and selling some of that to hedge some of the risk. And so it does seem like there's a bit of those jitters that are definitely out there. But maybe one more follow-up on this whole kind of macro story. you know A lot of this gets back to what is the Fed going to do and what are central banks in general going to do? So what do you think markets are currently expecting from the Fed
2: over the next couple of months? So I'd break this down by asset class. So I think within equities, they are far more sanguine than we see our friends within rates. And what I mean by that is a lot of people in equities are looking at real-time data, which kind of points to an inflation level that is actually below that of official measures and the expectation that the Fed is done. And so not only are they done, but we might actually see rate cuts as soon as Q1 of next year. Now, our friends that trade rates would uh, probably take the other side of that trade, meaning if you look at the short part of the yield curve, and it remains very elevated, and still very much inverted, which kind of seems to espouse a view that the Fed is going to remain higher than longer with the upside risk to rates that we're going to see inflation kind of continue to tick higher. And if that's the case, then you might see more rate hikes rather than actual rate cuts. And I think that's really the difference between the two markets right now.
1: So, Drew, we've been talking a lot about getting to the end of the summer. And while it could make some people a bit sad, what are you looking forward to in the fall? Because there could be a lot of things that are exciting.
2: First, I would say football season, absolutely. So for those that haven't met me, I'm a huge football nut. But I'd also add to that too, is like the overlap between football and basketball season is probably my favorite time
1: of the year. That's great. Tons of games to watch and a lot to look forward to. And one last question. So you had a really good non-consensus call throughout the year about being bullish on the U.S. consumer. Any non-consensus call for who wins the Super Bowl?
2: (laughs) So I would say my best guess right now would probably be, I'd take Philly over Cincinnati.
1: Thanks, Drew. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks again, John. See you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, Together J.P. Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation advice or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. They are not issued by J.P. Morgan's Research Department, but are a solicitation under CFTC Rule 1.71. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JPMorgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. The FICC Market Structure Publications, or to one, newsletters, mentioned in this podcast are available for JPMorgan clients. Please contact your JPMorgan sales representative should you wish to receive these. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.